Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Mayors in the city of New Haven have short terms thanks to its city charter. This means incumbent Justin Elliger is running a re-election campaign just as he's finishing his first two years in office. And he has a challenger, Karen Bois Walton, who took leave as head of the New Haven Housing Authority to run for mayor. Today, where we live, we talk to them and take your questions, too. If you're a New Haven resident, what issues matter to you? What do you want to hear from these candidates? Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, the New Haven Democratic Town Committee holds a convention later this month, July 27th, to endorse a candidate for mayor. And the candidate who doesn't get the endorsement would then have to collect enough signatures to force a primary. And both city and town primaries in Connecticut are in September, September 14th. There is also another Democrat seeking the party's endorsement to run for mayor in New Haven. Her name is Macy Torres. And based on the outcomes of votes at recent Democratic gatherings in New Haven, she has far less support than both both Mayor Elliger and Karen Bois walton We did not invite her to be on the show today. But I do want to welcome back to the show on Zoom, Justin Elliger, Mayor Justin Elliger. Welcome back. Good morning. Good to see you. And with us is his challenger, Karen Bois walton Karen, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good to be with you again. Here's the number again, 888-720-9677, if you have a question for both candidates. Uh, so I wanted to start off and, and talk about the violence that uh, New Haven and so many other places in our country are seeing. Uh, Mayor Elliker, I understand there have been 17 homicides so far this year. So what do you think needs to happen in your city to address this increase? Uh, this has been uh, one of the biggest challenges facing cities across the nation, and New Haven is no different. Uh, and our team has been working very, very hard for many months to respond to it. Um, and it's uh, it's heartbreaking uh, the the impact, the trauma that the community is facing on this. Uh, I was talking with uh, the mom of Sierra Jones just the other day, who was one of the victims of, of gun violence on Truman Street in the Hill. And the pain that her family feels, but also in knocking on doors on Truman Street, the concern of residents uh, is, is going to impact the city for many, many years to come. Um, we are working with a multi-pronged uh, approach to confront the increase in violence, uh, increasing walking and bicycle beats, doubling street outreach workers, increasing youth engagement workers, restarting the shooting task force that works with our surrounding towns, and engaging in uh, supports as well. And New Haven has done uh, this work for quite a long time. It's based in research. And President Biden just uh, several weeks ago announced his plan for combating this increase in violence uh, across the nation. And his plan included many of the things that New Haven has been doing for, uh, for quite a long time. Um, we're having success. 
Uh, we've seized over 100 guns uh, just in this past year and made multiple gun arrests. Um, but there's a lot more work to be, be doing. And uh, I, I'm very committed to that and our team is very committed to that. Uh, we know that uh, there were increases in crime uh, during the pandemic. I believe in 2020, there were 20 homicides in the city of New Haven. So why do you think this is happening now, Mayor, as we're trying to put the pandemic behind us and things have reopened? Uh, people are uh, maybe working again. But in terms of the support services in your community, how does that impact uh, what we're seeing? I think there's a number of things that have contributed to it. Uh, there's an incredible amount of stress in the community because of the pandemic. Uh, many people have lost their jobs. In addition, uh, during the height of COVID, a lot of the uh, typical ways that we engage with uh, individuals that are at risk of being involved in gun violence were shut down. For example, the state uh, ceased parole and probation custom visits to uh, individuals that uh, are at risk. And so we pushed to restart that last year. Um, we, like many communities around the nation, ceased uh, Project Safe Neighborhoods and Project Longevity call-ins um, to keep people safe and make sure people weren't exposed to COVID. And I think the combination of those things uh, is what has contributed across the nation to this increase in gun violence. Of course, we uh, we were the, the one of the first in the nation to restart the project longevity call-ins. Uh, we opened a re-entry center in February uh, to help change the trajectory of individuals that uh, previously were coming out of incarceration with basically no supports and just dropped on the off on the New Haven Green. And this new re-entry center, every person that comes out of prison now is dropped off in front of Project More and with a welcome home and a support uh, network and uh, someone that can help them engage with uh, the supports that they need to succeed. Uh, Karen, uh, there's a, obviously a spike in crime in your city. At the same time, you're actually calling for a change in leadership at the New Haven Police Department. Why? Lucy, I got to say, as a, as a mom, some of the hardest moments I've had have been comforting my two sons who have lost friends, young people they played ball with, um, people they, kids they went to school with to gun violence in our city. And it is, it is heartbreaking and it is, um, it is a moment right now of absolute crisis in our community. And, you know, I started my career as a child psychologist working in a program that was on the forefront of community-based policing. It paired clinicians with police officers and became a national model. And New Haven itself was a national model for community-based policing, which is a philosophy. It's an approach and it's an approach that has to start from the top. And in a moment of great crisis in our community, where our community is being impacted and, and the communities being impacted being predominantly the, the black and, and uh, Latino communities, heavily impacted by gun violence right now. It is a time for urgent action and for effective action and for uh, doubling down and, and return to what was a national model around community policing. And so I don't think it's a time for an acting police chief to be in a position to set that tone. It's a time for a named police chief to carry the authority necessary to lead from the top instill in every level in the recruitment in the day-to-day -day training and supervision 
in the out of the department partnerships that have to be forged, police chief that will be everywhere, talking with everybody, engaging with the likely and the and the unlikely uh, community partners around this, because community-based policing is ultimately a tr building trust with community through partnership. And I think it's time to have a, a fully appointed, not an acting chief. Uh, Mayor Elkler, I understand uh, Acting Chief Renee Dominguez, uh, she was appointed, I believe, in, in January uh, to replace retiring former Police Chief Reyes. Uh, and so I understand there's also a lot of churn within the New Haven Police Department, the New Haven Independent reporting that uh, since uh, she took um, that position, top-ranking Black and Latino cops have left the department. Uh, and so I'm just wondering if you can maybe answer why she is still Acting Chief and what you would like to see within the leadership at the New Haven Police Department. Sure. Uh, so that's not accurate that um, she was appointed in January. Uh, chief Reyes uh, uh, was and continued to be chief uh, until just recently. And um, Chief Dominguez, uh, I appointed her acting only very recently. And uh, in the past uh, many years, we've had chiefs that uh, were acting for quite some time. Chief Campbell was acting chief uh, for uh, nearly 10 months. Chief Reyes was acting chief of police for around seven months. Uh, this is a, a common practice in New Haven during a transition to try out a new chief uh, and to make sure that it's, it's the right fit as we um, explore whether or not uh, we wanna go in a different direction or work with that acting chief. And, you know, frankly, I think it's not productive or helpful to have press conferences uh, attacking our chief of police during a time when we're facing a serious crisis in the city. Uh, the police union came out in support of uh, Chief Dominguez and saying that she was able to effectively do her job and support the police. That is, you know, let's put politics aside right now and focus on what's important, and that is together confronting the violence. And I also think um, this idea that somehow uh, the other candidate can come in and fix all these problems is just not accurate. Uh, during uh, her time as CAO and COS, crime rise 300 percent, uh, homicides rose 300 percent. So I think that these problems are very challenging and we need to be honest about those, not be political, but focus on the real solutions. And we have been doing the very things that are founded in New Haven's history of community policing. Mary Elliker, you mentioned that the police union supports Acting Chief Dominguez, but what are you hearing from the people of New Haven, the residents, when we think about community relations with police? Uh, how do they see the work that Acting Chief Dominguez is doing? What are you hearing from them? I knock on doors uh, all the time around the city. Uh, in particular, I knock on doors after we have a major shooting or a homicide. And consistently, residents say that they want more beat cops. They want the relationship with their police force. And that's from the top down to uh, officers that are entering the police force. Just the other day, I was walking in the uh, Hill neighborhood with uh, Sergeant Marshall, talking with neighbors about uh, how they wanted more uh, connection with their police force. And that is, that is what we're doing. The uh, Chief Dominguez is committed to that work. She is working very hard under incredibly intense pressure to uh, confront the, this very challenging situation. 
You can join our conversation with incumbent mayor Justin Elliker, as well as uh, Karen Bois walton who's challenging uh, Justin Elliker for that Democratic endorsement in the city of New Haven uh, for the mayor's race. Again, our number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, Karen, uh, Mayor Elliker referenced uh, during your time. So before you were the uh, president and executive director of the New Haven Housing Authority, Authority, you worked for former Mayor Stefano, And so uh, talk through a little bit more about uh, the, the, the violence and crime that you saw during uh, your time working for that mayor. And again, you mentioned that community policing is something that helped. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there there are many folks who um, in the past ran against Mayor Stefano, and it was their opportunity to challenge his ref- record on many issues. I am not Mayor Stefano. I run on my own record. And um, and I would point you to the 14 years that I have run the Housing Authority and the approach that we have taken to build community for families, taking places that were so under-resourced and that at, at the time uh, that, that I came into the Housing Authority had crime uh, occurring on, on our developments that was really troubling and really scary for folks. And we set about a comprehensive plan that included transforming those communities into places of opportunity. Where the New Haven Police Department to this to this day will point to our properties from prior to redevelopment to post redevelopment as places that have demonstrated the most significant reductions in crime. And it is our own version of community-based policing. We didn't do it through over-policing the community or having people live in, in, uh, in fear of, of heavy police presence. We did it by giving people access to high quality affordable housing. In those developments, we did it by offering the kinds of resources that any of us need in order to succeed. Resources for young people. We helped to keep uh, teenagers and young adults engaged in positive and and, and healthy behaviors. Uh, We worked with uh, adults to make sure that they had access to jobs and uh, workforce training and development and opportunities to start their own businesses. And it's that combination of community partnerships, well-resourced and high-quality living conditions with some partnership with law enforcement that created the kind of success in reducing uh, criminal activity in, in, our, in our, our properties. And we've done that on over 2,000 units to date, and we're continuing to do that on, on more and more developments um, to the point that we will have rebuilt the entire portfolio and made safer communities. And that's what we wanna be doing everywhere in the city is creating safer communities that offer people opportunity because gun violence reduces when people have opportunities to do other things in their lives. Let's talk about- Lucy, if, if, I, if I may just respond to that. I, yes, I, quickly. I think it's important to underscore that there's not, there are significant challenges with crime and, ho- and housing authority sites. Uh, let's not mislead Folks, the first vigil I attended as mayor was at Boucher uh, Lane in Eastview Terrace. We, we've had many challenging issues at McConaughey Terrace, at Essex Townhouses, at Mill River Crossing, at Scott Ridge Apartments. I think we need to be just factual about um, and, and honest with the residents about the challenges that we face. And when you talk with those residents in those um, housing uh, areas, uh, Mayor Elliker, again, what are they telling you? Why, why, are they, why is there crime in those specific areas? Is it because uh, people are unemployed? Is it because they're dealing with trauma? It's a combination of things. It's a combination of things. It is um, incredible economic stress. 
but it is also supports that need to happen from very young. Uh, I've been a strong advocate of, uh, for example, investing more in, in, uh, in early childhood education. It starts with our school systems. Um, we also have a real challenge with anger management and conflict resolution. We're having conversations with uh, Dr. Tracy, the superintendent of schools, about restarting uh, something that a uh, program that we had a long time ago in New Haven called Project Pride, where we can teach anger management and conflict resolution in our schools because many of the individuals that are involved in these violent incidents, uh, they have beefs with each other and there's retaliation. And so uh, teaching people the tools to address their conflicts without uh, resorting to violence in addition to the work that we're doing with our street outreach workers to engage and prevent retaliation is vital to um, us responding to this, uh, this situation. You mentioned uh, young people and uh, the, the school uh, district, and, and I wanted to talk more with you about uh, that, um, including you know, what we saw in the pandemic and now that uh, kids uh, had some in-class time before uh, summer break. Uh, but because you mentioned Dr. Tracy, I wanted to bring up uh, what has been in the news uh, for a while now, and that is uh, what happened with a uh, former principal of the Brennan Rogers Magnet School. Uh, I know that the school board uh, voted to uh, approve the appointment of a new principal, um, but there were concerns about uh, the former principal, Laura Robley, uh, using the N-word at least four times on two occasions with staffers. Uh, so tell us about a little bit more about how this situation was handled, Mayor Elliker, because you also are a part of the Board of Education. Yeah, so what Ms. Robles said was uh, deeply offensive and, um, and very upsetting. Uh, we appointed a superintendent, Dr. Tracy, less than two years ago. Uh, she was hired unanimously by the Board of Education to run the school district. And Dr. Tracy implemented an investigation into uh, this incident. She reviewed the investigation, consulted legal counsel, negotiated with the union and punished the employee. Uh, Ms. Roble apologized for uh, what she said and she did. Um, and I voted to support Dr. Tracy's recommendation for discipline. I think it's important to uh, make sure that we understand what our, the Board of Ed's authority is versus Dr. Tracy's authority. Uh, members of, who voted against Dr. Tracy's recommendation ran a risk that there would be no discipline at all. And I think it's uh, vital for us to um, hold these employees accountable. Dr. Tracy um, has acknowledged that uh, the communication with the public could have been better um, and is working to bring a restorative justice approach to uh, the school, uh, meeting with staff and community over the summer. And I felt that it was very important to make sure that the school had a new principal uh, quickly. You know, school uh, start, start is just around the corner and we need to make sure that the school has the support they need to move on from this incident, but deal with it and uh, confront it and have conversations about it. But why stop at demotion and not um, her losing her job that this uh, former principal was uh, reassigned or is going to be reassigned? I understand parents and even staff were they wanted to see more done, a zero tolerance, Mayor Elliger. So why a demotion? Uh, because I think that we need to trust Dr. Tracy, who uh, engaged with the union, engaged with legal counsel and her advice and her decision. 
Uh, the Board of Ed didn't have the authority to just fire an employee, and there's good reason for that, uh, because we don't want politics to get involved with a management decision. Uh, I trust Dr. Tracy's integrity and her ability to assess uh, the situation and make sure that we don't get ourselves in legal trouble. Uh, and while I'll, there are a lot of things that we would like to see, in reality, we don't often have the luxury of just uh, choosing what we would like to see. Um, and I think that uh, we need to have the confidence in Dr. Tracy to make the right decision. Karen Bois walton how did you see the way this issue was handled and, and what you've heard from the community? Lucy, I, I got to say this brought me back to my own childhood experiences of, of times sitting in class rooms where the N-word was used and I desperately needed the adults in the building to protect me and, and felt uh, the failures of those adults in action uh, and brought me back to those moments. Uh, too many, as a, as a Black woman, too many moments to count of being the victim of, of racial epithets, of racial discrimination, of, of true racial violence, including uh, time growing up in a small town in Western New York where the Ku Klux Klan demonstrated against my family for an employment decision that my father had made. It all surfaced for me um, as it does uh, all too often in um, moments of, of racial discrimination and racial inequities that continue to this day to show up in so many so many ways, and so it took me back, and and my heart, frankly, was not with uh, with the the principal. It was with the people who had been harmed and felt harmed throughout this process. And I think our obligation was to protect the children and families in that school, to protect the brave educators who spoke out and put their names to a, a, a letter detailing what their experiences had been under under her leadership. And and I felt a lot of concern that the details of the investigation were initially withheld. And uh, the spin on it turned out to be inaccurate in terms of what the options that had been presented and, and even whether a real investigation had happened. It, it turned out that the folks in that building had not been, been talked to. And as somebody who's, who's led and led in unionized uh, environments, I know well how to conduct employment-related uh, investigations. I know it certainly is more than sending uh, the complainant and the accused uh, an email and asking them to respond to a couple of questions. It's about investigating and looking into and interviewing people, and that just happen. It still could happen, and I think the community is calling out for that to happen. But as we think about what the risks are and weigh about where we might get sued, to only privilege the the um, the educator in this, uh, the administrator in this, I think is is a challenge. Worried about whether she might sue or not. Uh, there are a whole host of people who's rights potentially could have been violated and, and might might sue. And that should be taken into account as well. The educators who potentially felt like they were working in a in a hostile environment, uh, there's a risk that they sue because inaction occurs. Uh, families who might question uh, what what kind of uh, treatment they, they received under this um, administrator. Families who, who to this day might be questioning when their little black child was, was disciplined by this administrator. Was that fair or not? That you know, there's a risk of, of them suing as well. There's always risk in in public leadership and in making decisions that somebody might feel wronged and might bring a case. It's important that we lead from the place of what we value, and and when making those decisions about and and, and knowing that there's some risk of something happening, we should be aligned with what our values are. And this is a district that has said they want to be an anti-racist district. 
of a district that wants to lead from an equity place. And there's a ton of work to do to get there, but this would be a great opportunity to really learn from this as a school district should be a place of learning, an opportunity to really learn from this and try to do the right things for the kids and, and families and educators of Catherine Brennan and for the whole district in the city. Uh, Mayor Elliker, before we had to break, did you want to respond? Should there be more investigated about what happened at the school and uh, you know the experiences that both staff and students uh, had uh, under this former administrator? Look, I think we need to be clear that what what uh, Ms. Robles said was shocking and not acceptable. Uh, but let's not mislead folks into saying an investigation was just a couple of emails. Uh, that that's just not accurate. Uh, Dr. Tracy was hired to do a job, and as a manager myself, uh, I understand the complexity of decisions, and oftentimes I can't do what I want to do because uh, we're limited in our ability because of union rules and legal ramifications uh, for uh, what we can do. It's easy when you're on the outside, not making decisions, to make blanket statements about uh, the superintendent and her lack of ability to make decisions that are complicated like this, but I have to own the these decisions with my vote. And, uh, and I voted to hold uh, Ms. Roble accountable. And I will remind folks that I the Board of Ed does not have the authority to override Dr. Tracy's decision to demote uh, the, the individual. So I think we can make blanket statements, but the reality is that uh, when you're in the seat, uh, the decisions are much more complicated. Lucy, I won't be dismissed as someone who just sits on the sidelines without a set of experiences. I have run large public entities for the majority of my career, over 20 years at, at this point. I, I will not be dismissed as somebody who does not understand the complexity of working in a unionized environment uh, and in a complex public uh, entity. Well, you're hearing, but the other hearing. candidate never testified at a board of education meeting, uh, and all of a sudden, this is such, such an important issue. I, mm -hmm. I just I think that it's important for people that are uh, to understand that if you're really going to advocate for so something, you need to uh, make your voice heard and advocate for something. You're hearing Mayor Justin Elliker here on Where We Live. He's running against challenger Karen Bois walton who served under the Mayor Stefano administration, and she was a longtime head of the New Haven Housing Authority. She's challenging him for the Democratic endorsement. We're going to continue talking with them after the break. We're going to take your calls, too, Dan from New Haven. Uh, stay with us. You can join us as well, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. 
Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I'm speaking with the leading candidates who are hoping to be uh, the mayor of New Haven. We have got incumbent Justin Elliker, who's just completing his first term, and then challenger Karen Bois walton uh, Bois walton used to work for former mayor John DeStefano and has led New Haven's housing authority for 14 years. She took a leave of absence to run for mayor. If you have a question for either of them, here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720. WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Dan is calling in from the Elm City. Dan, what's your question? Hi, I was wondering what um, the mayor's uh, and the, the candidate's plans are for reestablishing the uh, before and after care for the preschool program. I was a big fan of the uh, New Haven uh, free preschool program, but it's been cut under this administration from about nine hours a day to six hours a day makes it much less valuable for working parents. Uh, Mayor Elk, I'll let you respond. Uh, sure. Thanks for the question, Dan. Um, so I, I want to, first of all, underscore that um, the uh, preschool, as both a parent and someone that has looked at a lot of the research, is vital for um, the success of families, both um, because a lot of families uh, are working and need that additional child care, but also for the development of the child. And that is why I've been a strong proponent of expanding access to early child care. This has been a question of uh, money, of course. And what is good is that with the American Rescue Plan funding coming to our public schools, approximately $80 million. In addition to a significant amount of funding coming to the state, the governor has also emphasized an interest in prioritizing early childhood education. Uh, this will allow us to significantly expand options for uh, additional pre-K uh, in our schools. And it's also an opportunity to underscore the other work that we are doing to make sure that we bounce back from uh, the education and learning loss that many young people have experienced over the past year. Uh, we've extended our summer camps. Typically, they're six weeks. This summer, they're eight. We've expanded our summer school offerings with uh, youth and rec department so that we not only uh, help support academic uh, enrichment, but we have the social and emotional development component of that for the summer. And what you're going to see in the fall is a significant increase in a teacher to student ratio uh, in the younger years, uh, first to third grade. And we're even uh, looking at things like having twilight classrooms for high school students so that uh, young people have more options available. You know, ultimately, a lot of these come down to our ability to invest. And thankfully, we're at a real opportunity now that we can um, we can increase our offerings for young people. 
You mentioned that for the summer programs and, and summer school that those have been expanded. But Mayor Elliker, how many of the students within the school district are actually taking advantage of these programs? Uh, a lot, a lot. You know, I, I was at Barack Obama school uh, just a uh, over a week and a half ago observing the um, the academic enrichment program and our youth and rec in the afternoon take over the program and offer uh, fun things for our kids to do. And there were tons of kids, tons of kids. There's over 400 kids that are participating in our summer camp program. Um, and then we also, uh, because of our $1.5 million investment in youth this summer, are providing grants, uh, over 25 small grants to nonprofits to increase their free programming for young people as well. So it's having a real significant impact. You can join us if you have a question for incumbent Mayor Justin Elliger or his challenger Karen Bois walton 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Alex is calling in from New Haven. Alex, go ahead with your question. Hi, uh, thank you. I'm uh, curious for both candidates to talk a little bit more about their um, plans for early care and education. Everything that I've heard so far really relates back to that social emotional learning, including the families and the education path, uh, long term investment. Um, I want to hear uh, less about sort of the obstacles and more about what the opportunities are and how we really move forward with a birth to five initiative. Uh, Karen, do you want to take that one? Sure. Thank you, Alex. And Dan's question also brings up the fact that unfortunately, those who are most vulnerable and often the least able to absorb the, the cost of, of government cuts are those who are suffering. And, um, you know, if we're really going to lead from a place of equity, it means we've got to be shifting our power and shifting resources to those who have been most often left out. And we certainly can't afford to uh, eliminate things like before and after pre-K um, programming. Uh, Early childhood has been a cornerstone of our of our campaign because, as Alex has indicated, we recognize the importance uh, in terms of investment at that level and its impact on everything else we see in community around how, how our young people do through school, what opportunities they'll have, how successful they'll be in the workforce. It's one of the reasons that we uh, include uh, something that will offer universal early care and education for all families. Uh, in our community. And we, we call it the New Haven Pre-Promise because we're modeling it after New Haven's very successful Promise Program, which was another moment of, of sort of transformational change where we looked beyond the way things had already always been done. We looked but, but beyond the limitations of funding and we said something creative needs to happen in this city. And public and private dollars came together to launch something that offers every high school student opportunity to get to college. And we want to offer every family the opportunity to get their child into a high quality early care and education slot. And we need to do that by ensuring that those slots are funded appropriately so that the people doing that work who are predominantly uh, right now women and, and predominantly low income women because of the rate of reimbursement that we pay for that important service. So through our model, we not only increase access to this very important service for, for every child in our community, but we'll also be able to do it in a way that will allow programs to improve their quality, allow programs to pay teachers for the valuable work that, that they do, a wage that reflects that we know how valuable that is. So we're really excited about our New Haven Pre-Promise. 
Uh, Mayor Elker, I wanted to go back to you because you'd mentioned learning loss. I understand there was an issue of, of chronic absenteeism uh, in New Haven uh, when schools were remote and, you know, we were all struggling. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about, does the, the city have a handle of exactly when we talk about learning loss? What does that mean for your students? And besides the, the teacher, um, student and staff ratio that you mentioned, what are some other ways to help come fall? Yeah, this, this was a challenge that I think many, as you referenced, Lucy, communities faced, um, in particular urban communities. And during the pandemic, uh, we made sure that every child had a device and free internet. Uh, that's, of course, um, uh, helpful to many, many families, but uh, not enough. And some, some kids did uh, succeed in, in the online, online learning environment, but others really struggled. Uh, and uh, members of the New Haven Public School team actually went out and knocked on doors. Our Youth Connect team uh, was focused on specific kids that were at risk. And uh, moving forward, in addition to the work that uh, we're doing with summer camps, we've actually increased opportunities for summer youth jobs for older kids, high school age kids, youth at work, uh, but in addition, we're having youth teams uh, paid to go out and clean up the neighborhoods. Uh, looking towards the fall, in addition to what I mentioned about uh, more flexible timing for classrooms uh, for high school kids, like the twilight uh, uh, schools, we are looking into extending uh, the options for after school um, education. And I think that this is not just about the direct uh, New Haven Public Schools programming, but about uh, other youth opportunities in the city. We are close to uh, completing the construction of the Q House, um, which has been worked on for quite some time as a place for young people to go to feel safe and feel at home, but have fun and engage with mentors. So uh, there's a lot of work to be doing. And I would, I think it's important to also mention that we're working very hard to connect young people that may not end up going to college with uh, the supports they need to access the careers of today. Hill House has a, uh, a health-related um, supports for accessing training in the uh, health sector that's growing in the city. Uh, we've been talking with Congresswoman DeLauro about uh, identifying funding for manufacturing training. So there's a lot of work to be done to ensure that our young people that historically have been forgotten by the system have the supports that they need. You can Listen, join we hear so often uh, about, you know, the comparison to other cities and, you know, our crime is like other cities and the learning loss is like other cities. But what I love about New Haven is we're never, never want to be like other cities. We always want to be the more creative, more innovative, do things that aren't done in other places. That's, that's what makes us New Haven, right? I couldn't just say at the housing authority, oh, this is what public housing looks like. No, we wanted it to be better, different. We shouldn't settle for anything less than that. And that's one of the things that was so concerning to me about the fact that this district did not reopen in September. Problems that were surmountable. They were they were surmountable because every other district was able to put together plans that had educators and parents and kids feel safe to go back to school. And so the learning loss that we're experiencing is really amplified by the fact that we were the district that did not open in September and give parents real choices. And at the Housing Authority, we had to help pick up the pieces because this meant for too many families, a choice about giving up employment, losing income, 
uh, in order to be able to accommodate um, the, the fact that the, the school buildings didn't open. Lucy, I have to respond to this because the only candidate raises this over and over and over again that we did not open for in-person learning in the fall. And she never testified at any Board of Education meeting. But more importantly, the facts tell a different story about Dr. Du Bois Walton's role. Uh, Dr. Du Bois Walton is a member of the State Board of Education and could have used that position to push for in-person learning last summer, but she didn't. And during the two meetings when the decision was made on whether school should be in person or remote, she didn't speak up, she did not advocate for in-person learning, and she actually cast her vote in favor of New Haven and other towns allowing for full remote learning. And now she's saying, even though she did not advocate for these things, that we should have opened for full in-person learning. When she was in the room in a position to make a difference, she didn't even raise her hand to speak. So Simply point to what, yeah. The mayor knows that he has picked up the phone and called me and I've advised him on so many issues throughout his uh, his tenure uh, to say that I have not been an uh, advocate for these things is just inaccurate. So before we move on and take some callers, again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. Mayor Elliker, was it a misstep that New Haven did not reopen in September for in-person learning? No, no. There were, cons- so look, we live in a democracy. And there are seven voting members of the Board of Education. I voted and advocated very strongly to open schools in person. I was very vocal about that. But the reality is that we had four members that were concerned about it and a lot of teachers that were concerned about reopening. Uh, So I think that, you know, painting this picture uh, as if only there was better leadership is just not respecting the process and the fact that we live in a democracy. Now, our team and what I, um, the team that I have control over, the health department, building department, fire department, we activated and engaged the schools and made sure that the HVAC systems were working well, that the schools were safe for our young people. All along, I've been advocating for in-person learning. Uh, And this Monday morning quarterback uh, from someone that didn't advocate at all and, you know, quote unquote, advised me. Uh, advising is not advocating for some, something and, and working hard to address it. Colin is calling in. Go ahead, Colin, with your question. Yes. Uh, there's been several other N-word used within the public school system. Uh, you, Even with your health department, you rely on your leaders to, uh, but they're inaccurate. They're not in accordance with the uh, city president. And all you could say is, uh, well, Dr. Tracy, uh, the health department bond, uh, when are you going to stand up and hold them accountable? Where's the investigation? What took so long for it to come out? Uh, um, there's a lot of questions to be answered within your administration. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Elliker, do you want to respond? Thank you, Colin, for the comment. I am not aware of the other reference that you're making to the health department. My cell phone is 203-500-2969. You should call me or text me and give me more information on that, and we will investigate it. But this is the first time I'm hearing of that accusation. Could you say your number one more time for our listener to write that down? Sure. It's 203-500-2969. We're going to take a quick break. You just heard incumbent Mayor Justin Elliker. He's running for re-election with challenger Karen Bois walton Again, they both want the endorsement of the Democratic Town Committee. That convention later this month. You can ask your question. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
My guests today here on Where We Live are the top candidates in New Haven's mayor's race, incumbent Justin Ellicker, who's just completing his first term as mayor, and challenger Karen Bois walton You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Let's talk about cannabis, because we know the state has a new law legalizing recreational ca- marijuana. We know that the law gives cities and towns some say in what happens next related to zoning and when uh, marijuana sellers and growers, uh, uh, as well as uh, people able to go into certain communities uh, to buy uh, legal cannabis. And so I'm wondering, uh, Mayor Elk, I'll start with you. You know, is this something that you will embrace in your city? And what would you like to see in terms of zoning limits? Uh, yes. Uh, and I testified in support of the legalization of cannabis, because I think that it's important to uh, be practical, but also to uh, address what was a failure, and that's the war on drugs. I also think it's important to underscore the, uh, the leadership of the New Haven delegation to push, push for equity to be at the center of this bill. Uh, so many lives, in particular, uh, many people of color uh, were impacted negatively by the war on drugs. And what's key about the legislation is that uh, it, uh, it, it ensures that there's components of this that will uh, respond to the damage that's been done. It's an opportunity for many people in New Haven to start new businesses. Uh, priority access for the dispensary licenses uh, will be given to individuals uh, who have historically been impacted by, um, by the war on drugs. We, will, we, of course, want to be thoughtful about how we do this, and that's where zoning comes in. Uh, we will be engaging with the community about the vision that we see um, uh, together uh, as a community on where dispensaries might be appropriate in the city. There's also 3% conveyance tax to municipalities, which I think cities like New Haven has, have historically not received the resources that we have needed to provide the support and services for our residents and I think it's important to underscore the clean slate bill that was in many ways a partner to this legislation that expunges records of people who were incarcerated for marijuana offenses. I think that's a key component to people, many of whom live in New Haven, um, who have a record uh, being able to have more opportunities because of the expungement of their records. So there's a lot of work to be done in particular to consider uh, around supporting people to have access to uh, the market that will grow. And we need to be thoughtful about how we're doing it, but uh, we're preparing for that. Uh, We just have a couple of minutes left. Karen, did you want to quickly respond to your views on cannabis? Well, I think it's an exciting opportunity to be preparing our residents to be the beneficiaries of this new uh, industry and new opportunity to be uh, business owners. And it's an opportunity to provide this sort of technical assistance and uh, and resources that can help our residents be first in line to uh, be the next business owner. We've got some great resources in this community already. We've been uh, doing this fight for a long time, and I hope they'll be uh, central to the planning efforts. Anthony is calling in from New Haven. Anthony, quickly with your question. Good morning. Anthony, are you there? Yes, go ahead quickly. We're almost out of time. Good morning. Um, Karen, um, I really want you to dig a little deeper about this gun crime because um, I've been here for a while and I experienced the first wave in 2011 um, when crime was very high. And I just want to know during that time um, frame, you actually did have a a power over the police department. Um, And at that time, the crime was actually down nationally. So like, how can you with good conscience, you know, come at the current mayor 
about the crime when you had an opportunity to really show the way. Karen, would you like to respond to Anthony? Sure. In 2011, I was I was not in in city government, so the time frame you're talking about, I was at working at the housing authority, and uh, I talked a lot about the kinds of things that we did to significantly uh, reduce crime across our properties. And um, the period of time you're talking about, I can't speak to. But during my time um, in city government, certainly that was the time when uh, community policing um, was a solution to upticks in crime and bringing in the right kind of leadership, turn things around, um, restoring partnerships, turn things around, and being deeply committed to all aspects of the philosophy of community policing from recruitment, supervision, building partnerships, uh, getting to the to the root causes of the conflicts in the community, all were elements of, of reductions in crime over time. But uh, Anthony, I can't speak to 2011 uh, from the city perspective. Again, you've been hearing Karen Bois walton here on Where We Live, the longtime leader of the New Haven Housing Authority, also uh, worked under Mayor John DiStefano uh, for many years. She's challenging incumbent Mayor Justin Elliker. Again, both of you looking for the Democratic Town Committee endorsement at the end of the month. Karen, we appreciate your time coming on the show today. Thank you, Lucy. Always good to be with you. And Mayor Elliker, thank you for your flexibility, and I'm sure we'll be talking to both of you soon. Thanks so much, Lucy. Good to talk with you. This is Where We Live, today's show produced by Matt Dwyer with help from Robin Doyne-Aiken. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Also, thanks to the great reporting by the New Haven Independent and the New Haven Register, which helped us prepare for today's show.